Storm Wind by James Ellison Wills, me. We had no idea what tomorrow would bring. It was 10 o'clock at night, and we were just sitting down to dinner, a bit early by local standards. Passengers from our two sailboats elected not to eat together. Together during the day, evening was a chance to explore the island on their own. But Hydra Town was only a few streets. It came as no surprise when everyone ended up in the same taverna. We sat on straight-backed chairs around a long table in the middle of the street. We ate from small plates of different dishes, fava beans, goat cheese, stuffed grape leaves, and more. The cost varied according to the dish. Each dish was served on a different shaped plate and counted at the end of the meal to determine the bill. The waiter watched our table and saw which of the plates were popular and brought more of those. Octopus grilled and served in olive oil wasn't a favorite. More plates of the luscious Kalamata olives came until the last plate sat untouched. Appetizers switched to main courses. We ate cleftico. Lamb slow-baked on the bone, marinated in garlic and lemon juice. No worry of any traffic interfering with our dinner in the middle of the street. Cars aren't permitted on the island. But there was no prohibition on cats. Hydra was full of them. In every corner there were cats. My young daughter, aged ten, was asleep on two chairs pushed together at their table, But the temptation of blonde hair hanging off the end of a chair was too much for a couple of wharf kittens to resist. They woke her up by climbing up her hair, and she urged me to keep them away so she could sleep. Dinner continued for a bit too long, as did our drinking. I held my daughter's hand as I stumbled back to our boat. We were carefully climbing from boat to boat at the end of a large raft of yachts jamming the small harbor. Our halyards were slapping in the breeze, but the noise couldn't stop me from getting a sound sleep. I fell into my bunk and overslept the next morning. Little did we know that the vestiges of a cataclysmic storm were coming our way. Hundreds of miles to the southeast, a storm was passing through Egypt. A rare collision of air masses developed over the eastern Mediterranean. It brought torrential historic rains to Cairo. A record one inch of rain fell in a downpour during two hours. It overwhelmed the non-existent drainage system and flooded parts of the city. The market of Muski in central Cairo lost 230 stalls due to an electrical short and the resulting fire. Further to the south, a small town turned into a living hell. The storm waters collapsed a bridge onto fuel tanks, rupturing them. It then ignited and swept through the town. There were at least 226 deaths as a result. The storm traveled north toward Athens, and we were in its path. We knew nothing about it. The next morning on Hydra was breezy, and we were in no hurry. I was late and busy making sandwiches. It was only 12 nautical miles from Hydra Harbor to our destination of Poros Island. The day was clear, and we were lazy sailors on holiday. But leaving Hydra is always a challenge for yachtsmen. The underwater harbor floor has a long history. It is a tangle of anchors, anchor chains, and detris deposited over centuries. Hydra was the home port of Bobolina, 
the historic woman admiral of the Greek Revolution in 1820. The picturesque island is now a popular tourist destination. The town around the harbor is surrounded on three sides by steep hillsides. The seafloor of the harbor was a museum of chains and anchors accumulated over centuries. And on the harbor side, at the corner table of the cheapest Café Neon, waits the frogman. His wetsuit top is pulled down around his hairy barrel chest as he sips his coffee and smokes and waits. He waits for the daily departure of the yachts bound for other ports. He waits because he knows that about half the time the anchors will get snagged and his cash services will be in need. The smart skippers call the frogman when they understand that no amount of tugging will release their anchors. The not-so-smart skippers will dive themselves or send a crew member down with a snorkel to free the anchor. It is deep, about 15 meters. The water is cold and murky, and few holiday makers have what it takes to loose their anchors. Finally, the skipper will realize the frogman is the only option. He hadn't waited for the call from our sister ship. He could see that our smart Greek skipper was ready to pay and get on his way. The frogman pulled his wet suit up over his chest as he took the last drag of his cigarette and headed to his small zodiac. So our late morning departure got later. In the murky depths, the frogman untangled the chain of our sister ship's anchor. Finally, we would be on our way. There was a fine wind from the south in the channel outside Hedra's Harbor. Our 42-footers maneuvered well clear of the incoming ferry from Athens. We ate our sandwiches after we'd hoisted our mains and jibs and sat back to enjoy the sail. Our Greek skipper had us on a tack that would take us north around the small cape and into the channel before Poros. Our sister ship was ahead of us. Our sails were set, and we were settled into the cockpit. Some settled into their books in the comfortable main salon below decks. We were on course, nothing to do, and, as is my habit while sailing, I retired to my bunk for a nap. My daughter wore a life jacket, though she was a good swimmer, just because. She was in a lively conversation with another passenger, and I could nap without worry. I woke to the sound of the jib winch shifting of the boat as we came about to a starboard tack. I snapped out of my groggy state as I climbed the stairs from the salon to the cockpit. The wind had picked up and changed direction. The boat heeled over and we were making good time. Sailing was a thrill for a bit until the wind increased again and it looked like this was going to take some work. Only a couple of passengers stayed on deck. The waves were pounding the hull and things were starting to get wet. Our skipper was on alert and he asked me to take the helm while he went below to radio our sister ship. The prediction had been for medium winds picking up as the day progressed. The updated early morning forecast indicated stronger winds. Our departure, delayed by the need of the frogman, was now past noon. 
The maritime broadcast had underestimated the wind speed and wave height. We found ourselves on a downwind leg with a ferocious storm from Egypt on our tail. The wind increased. We lowered our main and sailed with our jib alone. It was still too much sail for our skipper, and he turned into the wind. He had me hold the helm while he switched our big Genoa to a small storm jib. Our sister ship was well ahead of us, though visible near the horizon. The sun was low in the sky, and it wouldn't be too long before it set. There were just the three of us in the cockpit now. Everyone else was below decks in their bunks, all braced, either reading, napping, or fighting nausea. My daughter loves the wind and water that splashed us as we made our slow headway. We could see the small island in the distance that was the entrance to the channel leading to Poros. The sun was setting and things were getting serious. Darkness overcame us. The sea was big. We were far from shore and a safe harbor. Our 42-foot yacht's bow buried itself in the sea time after time. Dinner was off. Our sister ship told us on the radio that one of her anchors had gotten loose. It pounded a hull in their hull above the water line. Her skipper struck his jib and was motoring. The gusts of wind came with ferocity. The rigging screamed and howled. Our skipper fought to keep us from getting sideways to the waves. There was no pattern. We just hung on. For the most part, my conversations with the skipper this day were on the subject of piloting the boat. We didn't speak of the obvious storm or the estimated time it would take us to get to Poros. It surprised me when the sailor turned into a philosopher. In hushed tones, leaned over to me and said, Every sailor knows the sea will take him when it likes. He continued and gave me a big grin. Let's hope that's not tonight. My daughter refused to go below decks. Somehow I felt better to have her tethered to the boat and on the cockpit floor wearing her life jacket. It was a good idea until the first wave big enough to fill the cockpit hit us. Our skipper closed and double-checked all the hatches. The three of us sat with firm grips waiting for another wave. And it came, or rather they came, again and again. A tearing sound alerted us to the split in our jib. In just an instant, it was flapping in shreds. The captain brought our yacht around into the wind. He gave me the helm and instructions to keep it pointed into the wind. He crawled forward, hanging on to anything that would provide grip while we plunged up and down. It was dark. Our running lights were enough for me to see him making progress. He finally struck the sail and tied it down. He made his way back to the cockpit and took the helm. Sailors don't work by the clock. They work when they need to. Everyone below decks was seasick. Either they had already vomited or were doing all they could to hold it down. The three of us on deck were completely wet. Water was dripping off the brim of my jacket's hood. I tasted the salt water drops and had my arm around my daughter. We were shivering and she snuggled as close as she could. Our sister ship's crew had suffered. One of the passengers was stricken with a vicious case of seasickness. The hole in their hull was minor, and we heard from the radio that they'd entered the channel. 
The wind decreased in the lee of the steep hills of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. The waves were no longer coming over the rail, and our cockpit was damp but not flooded. We were wet and cold. In the distance we could make out the running lights of our sister ship getting deeper into the channel. We rounded the entrance to the channel, well away from the small rock islands and waves pounding them. Passing the point, conditions changed. The lessening wind and decreasing waves gave us a sense of relief and hope. We sat shivering in silence, dripping wet. I don't know how my fifth grader processed the experience. Her courage and grit humbled me. Finally, the lights of Poros Harbor were, without mistake, ahead of us. Our sister ship had found a berth big enough for both of our yachts. She was maneuvering into position to tie up for the night. We followed and were tossing a line to a man on the quay in a matter of minutes. He tied our bow line and our skipper tossed him a line from the stern. They exchanged a greeting as the man on shore knew all the charter skippers. We had left Hydra Harbor at noon and it was now midnight. We were back in the world of people, food, and lights. We walked across our small board of a gangway between tables set for harborside dining. The waterfront of Poros Island was alive with the evening crowd and music. The storm-ravaged sailors, emerging from their bruised boats, caused no notice. We were looking to get off the boat and for a place to sit for a coffee, a beer, or something stronger. We endured the wrath of the sea and the power of the wind. We were queasy and the land moved underfoot when we disembarked. Our skipper told me about a bar just down the way that would let us use their shower for a small fee. My daughter and I trundled in that direction with armfuls of dry clothes and towels. We ran all the hot water out and the fellow behind us had to take a cold one but we pretended not to notice. My young mariner was finishing her hot chocolate and almost falling asleep. I quaffed the last of my coffee. It wouldn't keep me awake this night. I wadded up my damp storm jacket and walked with her back to our bunks. The sea had held us in her hands and in her mercy had not wanted us this night. I was grateful for not having to be afraid anymore and squeezed my daughter's hand.